Hey everybody, it is time to thrill me, and Kersey's on the other side with me. I'm Michael, and... Hey, how you, how you doing? I don't know. No. <laughs> oh, I had no okay, response. No. Cool. All right. Uh, we, we, yeah, that's the end of the episode. See ya. <laughs> um, we are at the end of uh, 1981. We're now into 1982. And the first two films we're going to be discussing from 1982 is the mega smash Poltergeist that actually ended up destroying the better film, The Thing, during the summer yeah. of 1982. And... Poltergeist is still like well well regarded, but at the time when Thing came out, holy shit, people hated this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, first of all, let's just take a step back and admire just the the titans of horror, right? That we're talking about right now. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this this is what this podcast basically has been leading to is the thing because I I think we've mentioned it several times and oh yeah we'll finally get to it yeah and we're gonna see the influence for the next decade easily maybe two decades yeah or even uh when did the hateful eight come out because that was basically like an homage to, oh yeah to see that was what 2015 i think yeah so like even today it's it's still coming yeah it's it I, and it took a little bit though i really think it took hitting video for it to really blossom and that still took a very long time when i rented it it was uh, Christmas, uh, no, 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 uh, Valentine's Day of 1993. And this is, you know, that's 11 years after it came out. I still, I had never met anybody who had seen it. Mind you, I was 16 at the time. So, you know, we were all discovering horror, you know, around that age. But um, I, I feel like it was another decade before it really broke through. Yeah, I, I it is weird now to think back uh, or to like look up reviews. I think Roger Roger Ebert, I think just hated this movie. A and lot of people hated it. Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's it just it was too ahead of its time. Is the problem? Well, and, yeah. Well, one critic, I think it was Pauline Kael or somebody said, "How dare they release this in the summer of ET?" And I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> to to be fair, it, wait, did it release in the summer? Yeah, I believe it was uh, June, late June of 82. Okay, that is kind of weird that a movie about the Arctic would be released in the middle of the summer. But Well, you gotta shoot... Well, this is one of those torturous productions where I feel like it must have been shot a year earlier, but post-production took so damn long. Mm. I, yeah, I, I can see that. Which is so weird. Think about it back in the day. John Carpenter was turning out a movie almost every single year. He had 78 with Halloween, 79 with Elvis the movie... 80 The Fog, 81 Escape from New York, this in 82, and then Christine, Starman, and then he took it to your break. How are, that is a lot of good work, really crammed together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Christine was was okay, to be honest. No, they're quitting the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, to be fair, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I might, I'll have to go back. Always coming up on our next year, so. Oh, okay, never mind. It'll be pretty soon then. Well, no, actually, this year's going to be a while, but... Yeah, it opened up June 25th, 1982. That's, like, right in the heart, though. That's up against Tron, Conan the Barbarian, Blade Runner, E.T., Poltergeist. That's a lot of competition. That's true. Yeah, it's, uh, especially for a, a very dismal, depressing, uh, oppressive movie like this. It's yeah. not going to do well when you have something as fun like Poltergeist or E.T. to to look forward to. Right. I mean, we're not going to grab the kids of, hey, kids, let's go watch The Thing. Barf. (laughs) (laughs) Why won't Jimmy sleep? (laughs) (laughs) 
Nah, fuck it. it, it uh, the thing is probably the, the the best movie ever made. Should, should we talk about the uh, the plot of this? Or no, anybody listening to this knows, knows this is now a bona fide classic. But what I what I find interesting is the influence that came out over the years was like you know lab uh, not labyrinth sorry uh, Leviathan. Um, you see even through phantoms and all sorts of these like gooey. Uh, uh, what's the one on on a? Is, I think it's called Virus, where it's on a boat with Jamie Lee Curtis. It's really terrible. That's 17 years later, and they're still influenced by the thing. There was um, a comic book sequel. There was a video game. And, of course, there is the remake slash prequel, not really fuck up, which is kind of not good, but you don't like, you like it less than I do. I actually hate it. But I think we need to talk. We'll step back for a second and talk about the, the video game first because the video game John Carpenter has said, I think he actually wrote the video game too, and said that this is the actual vision of like the complete story mm-hmm. and it's kind of a disaster and i'm a little upset so just pretend the video game doesn't exist and it's great because <laughs> the video game kind of spits in the face of like what made the movie great but... you know what i find is hilarious hilarious is that uh burt lancaster's son bill lancaster wrote it and he only wrote one other movie and that was bad news bears <laughs> I guess he's good with ensembles. That's about it. That's the only connection I can think of. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of a weird combo. Um, okay. So uh, should, should we just should we just jump right into the to, to the pseudo prequel? And I, what I do want to talk about though, real quickly, is how amazing the special effects are. I don't give a shit what you do CGI-wise. It's never going to look like this. The only time it ever actually looks like, oh, that's early era, you know, let's let's break new ground makeup, is when uh, the body is splitting apart, or no, the head is splitting apart and then falling off and coming the spider. You can kind of see, oh, that's what that fake skin used to look like in the 80s. That is it. It is a flawless, truly disgusting movie. <laughs> I, I I even think the skin looks pretty good. I mean, to, to be fair, um, I, I what I, do, I I think part of it really works because this alien is creating some is you know that's true. I creating, forgot creating synthetic material or you know uh, synthetic human parts and shit. So it kind of it, I think it works when it looks a little rubbery because it, it is transforming and becoming something new. Um, so I so I think it really works for that. The only thing I think the head crab. Uh, is a, a little little stupid looking now because like like the individual legs don't really move it just kind of like it looks like a robot car or something <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a very very small criticism of an otherwise perfect movie yeah and it's uh it's just thinking about like this is where kurt russell was trying to be a leading man thankfully he had escaped from new york uh, right before this as a hit, but it would be years before he had another successful film because his collaborations with Kurt Ruff, or with uh, John Carpenter after this, not successful. No, but I do. I, I also just I do want to highlight how interesting. And again, I, a lot of visionary directors kind of are really ahead of the curve. But to have a, a hero, our hero of the story is not exactly a hero. Um, he is kind of off kilter even from like the first scene is him getting really mad at a chess machine and breaking it and he's clearly an alcoholic and people don't really like him like him and uncomfortable around him and for him to kind of be the hero really puts him to question like is he actually the good guy is he infected like that kind of stuff it just builds up so much tension it's really good yeah and it's 
at the time it wasn't intentional, but it now works uh, as a metaphor for what would happen with AIDS in the 80s. The same thing, the way that like the fly was almost a metaphor for cancer, even though they said it wasn't, but unintentionally or, yeah. you know, he wasn't expecting where the way the world would change. But that does feel like the way that we treated AIDS in the 80, 80s. Yeah. Uh, I also. Uh, yeah, well, we can continue down that thread. Do you want to continue talk, talking more about the, those connections or. No, it's fine. Do, do what you like. Do what okay. you like. I did also want to talk about the incredible ending too. Um, not so much the the alien kind of final form where it has like all the different parts that it's kind of like um, created and it's like this amalgam creature that you don't really understand what it is. It is pretty dope. But what I really like is the ending when he's just sitting there with Keith David and they're drinking something, and then Kurt Russell just laughs. That scene is is so good uh, because of, because of its ambiguity. Because like I, whenever I watch it and I talk to people about the ending, everyone has a different opinion about yeah, what happened. That's the best part is because you just don't know, so your imagination gets to take that next level. Unless you've played or seen the video game, then you actually do know what happens. If yeah. it's stupid, don't don't. Uh, I haven't. I have not played the game. I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, cool. Don't worry about it. Have you ever seen the original fifties, The Thing from Another World? I have not. I know it's a it's a vegetable monster or something. Yeah, basically it is not intimidating whatsoever, and I'm glad. This is one of the few times where they remade it and they reinterpreted how... You know how they always say, well, we can do like the special effects differently because it's updated? And that usually means that they keep the same script and it just it, it just new special effects, which is which is kind of a waste of time. But it's this kind of like one, the 1980s Blob movie, which we should talk about. By yeah, the way. That, oh, I love that movie. Um, so good. The, the classic, the blob, the fly, the thing. And whenever you say remakes, I'm like, well, if it's a 50s remake, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> um, but uh, my problem a lot with uh, the remakes is like they, they just replicate the plot with new special effects. But this one, he kind of gutted the script and, and rebuilt it and then um, added, you know, Rob Bottin's masterful special effects, which is still jaw dropping to this day. It was just one person created all of those special effects. Yeah, it's, one. It's, it's insane. These days you'd have like, well, we had 80 engineers from this guy and these guys doing the CGI effects, which is what kills me about the the remake slash prequel is they had practical special effects. And then they said, hey, let's go in and just do what? No, you already spent the money. Yeah. It, and it looked, it looked terrible. Yeah. And, but that would, again, that's not going to, that wasn't going to save that movie. It like, it completely changed how the creature worked. The spaceship still worked for some reason. Like the whole thing didn't make sense. But yeah, it's it's a whole another conversation. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about the thing before we switch over to Poltergeist? Uh, no. Go buy it. I, 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 I buy it as many times as you can. It's an excellent <laughs> movie. Yeah, there is a new shout. Well, newish Shout Factory release with some new added features. I uh, I think I had the Universal Disc, and that's when it kind of exploded because when DVDs first came out around ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, Universal used this as a way to show off, hey, look at all these insane features we can add to a DVD. This is why you need to buy a DVD instead of VHS. And the thing, man, that thing was fucking loaded. And that's when it started to become like a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not, let's not ignore Slither. Slither is clearly a love letter Ooh. to this movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Poltergeist was the one that just... If E.T. was sold out, or you'd already seen it too many times, or, you know, you went to see Poltergeist. Those are the two biggest hits of 1982. Um, And 
It's fine. I think I've seen too many spooky house movies to really be thrilled by it the way I was when I was a kid. Um, there's it is more of a roller coaster ride. It is PG, and I'm a little shocked that a couple things got into it for a PG movie. <laughs> no, it's it's funny that you said it's like an amusement ride. I was like in my head thinking about thinking back on the movie more objectively now i was thinking like oh it's like a disneyland theme park ride yeah or it just it's, it's not like, like a, it's like a fun spook right it's, it's not, not like it's haunted not really house scary. um yeah. not what is it haunted mansion with eddie murphy it's not like that um it is clearly not played to kids even though there are kids involved and it is kind of meant for a more mainstream audience but what they do right in this is um they focus a lot on the characters. You spend time with them seeing these like ex hippies who are now sellouts, you know, in the suburbs, you know, making compromises as they get older because they have to take care of their family. And that's the kind of dynamic that they build. And they have the three kids, totally different personalities, and slowly destroying this family, but yet putting them back together stronger than they've ever been before. It, it, the, the, the poltergeist wants to, you know, take them piece by piece and make them weaker and yet they, they lock into each other so strong emotionally except for the one sister who abandons them <laughs> that was a shitty thing to do kid <laughs> um but yeah a lot of this uh, i've heard stories that uh toby hooper was on cocaine that he couldn't direct this that's, that's not a surprise yeah that spielberg uh took over and what i've been doing a lot of research and listening to people talk about this and that was just a rumor they kept spreading this is what, as far as I can tell, really happened. Spielberg was originally set up to direct this. He was really passionate about the story. He started to write it, and he had a team together, and they put you know all the pieces in place. You know, they actually did storyboards, so they knew how the action sequences were going to go, um, and they had the, the bones of it. Um, then E.T. finally got greenlit after waiting forever. It went from being a horror movie to a family thriller of sorts and so he went to toby hooper who he had been impressed with salem's lot and funhouse and he does direct it but like the way it was with goonies all the action sequences and the main bones of it were already laid down by spielberg so yes he may come in to juice up some of the special effects sequences but toby hooper is directing this uh yeah and, and i know that we in in the opening talked about how like thing is better but this is not a bad movie by any means. no it's just when you balance the two together holy shit yeah the the difference in like the the kind of movies that were inspired uh by either one obviously the thing has a lot better uh inspirations for it and a lot of people still to this day are uh talk about it yeah well let's also look at the fact that poltergeist was clearly made to be a big summer movie the thing it was almost destined to fail because anytime you get a movie that's so special effects gore heavy, they're automatically cut off of the main line. You're really going to only gonna get like the, the film fanatics and horror uh, fans. Those are really the only people that are going to go see this. Um, even to this day, ask a person who really isn't a horror person if they've seen the thing, and they probably haven't. Wait, horror fans of like now have no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, like, like my mother or or my sister, whatever. They'll watch some horror movies, but when you're talking like the thing, that's it's too gruesome for them to handle. Like they can stand the Conjuring or or something with a little more sense of humor, but the thing, no. The Poltergeist movie, yeah, the franchise, they'll, they'll probably watch. Yeah, I mean, like the special effects are pretty are. are 
a little more brighter and like there's a there's like big pink like neon pink colors going on and uh, yeah it, it's it, it it has more it has more bounce to it it's more fun whereas the thing has more dreary uh, right well you got like what twelve kind of shitty guys that's your core of the thing whereas you have a family unit that wants to sit you know you root for them to to, to save each other so yeah. that's the aspect so one's more of a downer one's more of an upper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm more of a downer guy. Yeah, um, it resonates with me. I watched I watched Poltergeist last night, and I was like, "It's fine, it's fine." And yeah, then I there, there's a sequence where the the creature from the tree comes in, and I was like, "That's impressive. I really like that." But I kind of like it better in Evil Dead too, even though it came out five years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there. Uh, yeah, it, it it's it's a perfectly acceptable, fine, fun movie. It's it's just not something that like really captures my imagination. Yeah, and it's not something that like I feel that a lot of directors nowadays kind of look back at and are influenced by. Like movies that are influenced by like Poltergeist are kind of uh, movies more akin to uh, paranormal paranormal activity movies, which I absolutely hate. So yeah, well, I, whenever I think about those movies or like The Conjuring, I never think of Poltergeist. I think of Amityville Horror. That's, that's probably more accurate. Yeah, and they're about the same success. Um, but what I do enjoy about this is the Toby Hooper got away with some fucked up stuff. And, like, the guy peeling his face off was, like, this is PG? Holy shit. This is pushing it to the limit. Yeah, uh, to be fair, though, like, when I saw that scene as a kid, like, I, I couldn't watch it because it was too frightening. And then watching it more recently, like, recently, it just, like... Oh, well, that doesn't look as good as I remember. No, you can clearly see the puppet part now. There's really no cutaway. They should have spent more time with him with, like, build-up makeup and then tearing it down. And then, as he pulled off more of it, to go to the puppet. Whereas they do it immediately, and I don't think that works. Yeah. I do think the sequence where she is in the pit and all the skeletons are popping up, that was effective as hell. That's, yeah, that still looks pretty good. Yeah, you can see when you watch this that, yes, it has the magic of Spielberg, but what it has is the visual tension of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Funhouse, especially with the clown, the kid, the, him bouncing off all that stuff. That kid is really good with playing off imaginary things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good uh, kind of like uh, middle ground between for Toby Hooper between Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 1 and 2. Like, it's kind of, like, right in the middle. Yeah, I think he went from this, and then he signed a deal with Canon Pictures, and I think he did uh, Life Force, then Invaders from Mars, and then finished it with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Sadly, all three of those bombed, and the rest of his career was... Yeah. He's got some good too. ones, though, in there. Trashy good ones, but it would it's real touch and go. Yeah, I wonder what happened. I mean, there's probably a really sad story, and I don't want to know. But well, yeah. you just, well, I mean, just look at the fact that he had three massive flops. Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre two at the time lost money. Well, I mean, just like in general with his career. Like oh his... yeah, well, if you have so many duds, that's way all those directors are from that era. I mean, Joe Dante, John Landis, uh, John Carpenter. Even they, if you don't have the hits to support you, the studio is going to start looking at somebody else. Yeah. And then they just kind of flounder trying to scrape together some funding to make a movie, not getting enough, and then can't produce the, their, their vision. Yeah. And then it just kind of goes downhill. And like the thing, this was spun off many times. There's two sequels, a remake, and there was an MGM TV show, I think, for three seasons called Poltergeist The Legacy. Didn't they just remake the Poltergeist? Yeah, it was like 2015, I think. It's not bad. 
I, I thought it was okay. Yeah, but nobody saw it, and that's that's kind of the point. Yeah, though, yeah. Kind of making like no one really gives a shit about. Even it with anymore. Sam Raimi's name behind it, it it, it still uh, didn't make a lot of money. Yeah, versus like if you put the thing at like the Hollywood Theater in Oregon, like that's going to be sold out in like five minutes. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so that is it with this episode here. We're going to be diving into some sword and sorcery, some serious Gordon monsters. Conan the Barbarian and Sword and the Sorcerer are our next episode. Are or is? I think is. I don't. I just learned English yesterday. I came from your planet, and I just wanted to watch horror films. <laughs> All right, check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast, and Kersey, send us out. All right, uh, see you, everybody. Hey everybody, welcome to Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host on the other side is William. How's it going, William? Yep. William Otis. Hi there. Uh, very glad to be here. I'm using my hero voice for the rest of this episode. Let's see how long <laughs> I can hold this. Uh, that music is Invasion by Nick Arundel from the Batman Arkham Knight, which I thought was appropriate enough because we're diving back into the world of DC Comics. We're going to be discussing that something you suggested, and that's Invasion. The storyline from 1987 or 88? I'm not sure. Let me look. Cheating, I got the comic right here. 88, yeah. Yep, 1988. Yep. Oh, God, the smell. The smell of old newsprint. Uh, Did you you know there's like a weird, like, vinegary kind of... Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I found myself smelling these several times. Oh, my God, I miss I don't this. know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you think it'll get stronger it's, as these it's comics like a, get older? I think it does, yeah. It's almost like it reminds me of like apple cider and sawdust, something. <sighs> Some combination thereof. <laughs> There's a company weird. out there that's going to be doing comic books in old newsprint like this again. They said new comic books are great, but they're really expensive to do in like, I guess you refer to as like Baxter paper or the high quality. And they're mm-hmm. going to go back to the newsprint because they said it's just cheaper to make comic books that way. And they want kids to read them. They're going to put them back on newsstands yeah. too. Who's doing that? I can't remember. Know? That's a problem. <laughs> I thought of it just as we were doing this, but I remember seeing it. I'll look it up. Some companies wow. doing it there. They're launching in a couple months here. And uh, I just got so happy about okay. that. Though I'll say this. The um, the ink on the lettering uh, sometimes can be hard to read on some of these old newsprint. I was reading something yesterday, um, Batman, A Lonely Place of Dying, and it was kind of hard to read on the old paper. Hmm. Hey, uh, you may have to edit this out, but you're getting super quiet. You can barely hear you. Really? Should I start <laughs> yelling again? Hey, how's it going? I don't know. Uh-oh. Uh, what happened? Hey everybody! I went to a distant planet. I got real quiet there for him. Uh, but we're—I think we're good. I think we're good now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's no awkwardness in this at all. No. All right. So we are going to quickly skim through Invasion storyline from DC Comics 1988. Todd McFarlane artwork for some of this. Um, boy, I don't—I don't like Todd McFarlane anymore. I don't—I don't care for this. Are you saying that you? Did not enjoy him in this because of the way you currently feel, or what? Actually, just in general, I kind of started moving away from his artwork. I loved it when he was on Spider-Man, though. We all went crazy for it, and I loved him on Incredible Hawk, but I was reading a G.I. Joe episode, or issue. Do you remember when he did that issue of G.I. Joe? 
Mm. I'm not sure. I remember a couple covers, I think. I don't think I read the one he did all of it, though. Yeah, Mm. he did one where they introduced Chuckles, Um, the single-handedly worst-designed G.I. Joe character ever. Turned out to be a lot cooler later. But yeah, Chuckles sucked. Yes. Yes, I did read that issue. Yeah, it was so weird. Right around then, he was like, they were like just freelancing him all over the place. He did uh, an issue of Starfire from the New Universe. Uh, Just all kinds of weird, uh, you know, one-off kind of stuff. Oh my god, I forgot about... I forgot about New Universe. There's an episode right there, the failure of what was supposed to be a big line. Oh yeah. Yeah, they even tried to bring it back, so it could be a couple episodes in a row. Yeah, I heard. I don't know Um, if it was successful in any way, but they only brought, like, what, Starbrand and someone else back? Uh, This is off topic. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) That's okay. Okay, but yes, um, I really enjoyed the McFarlane artwork in here, but I don't, like, I've gotten tired of him, and I don't like his current artwork, because I feel like it's just, it's the same stuff, but, like, too intricate, and, like, he's just trying to impress me all the time, and not being artistic, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like he's, He's overdoing his gimmick, and I'm tired of it. But back here, I'm like, you know, this is the late 80s. He was just figuring it out, and it's, I don't know, it's still kind of exciting to me. <laughs> All right, so this storyline, now, the reason we're talking about this is because, uh, you know, DC had launched it in the TV format, which I still haven't got to see the storyline. It's, you know, with the Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and Green Arrow do the Invasion storyline. Did you get to see the this at all? Um, I'm trying to think. I've been watching uh, Flash pretty closely, and I watched first um, several episodes of the oh whatever the Super Team one is. You what? can tell I don't like it. <laughs> you don't uh, like it? I love it. Legends of Tomorrow is great. I just haven't caught up. Really? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh yeah. Well, I just saw the first couple. I guess I guess I wasn't sure they were going to gel together very well. Um, but yeah, I've been I, uh, I've been watching Flash right up until I think this was about to start. I don't think I've really seen it. Okay, so uh, we won't we won't discuss. And... Yeah, we won't discuss that side of the storyline. Let's just go through the comic real quick. And uh, mm. you know, it's funny is you had these when we were kids, but I never bothered to read it for some reason. The alien themselves, I saw it on the cover, mm. and I was like, ah, I don't see any of the superheroes. I know I don't give a crap about this. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think I I kind of had the same thing. I was like, uh, I don't know these aliens, never seen them before. How interesting could this be? Um, I had these issues, and I probably had multiple copies of at least a couple of them. Held on to them because they were becoming hot for a while, of course, because of Todd McFarlane. And uh, honestly, I, I don't think I read them back then. I think I read the first issue, maybe, and, and that's it. Yeah, uh, But I wish I had. You know, it's funny is, um, I always have a hard time with intergalactic stories or, like, godlike stories. Like, you know, the world of Aquaman and Wonder Woman kind of turned me off. I'm more like the ground kind of heroes, you know, Nightwing, the Outsiders, stuff like that. You know, the Arrow and the Flash, you know, guys that fight on Earth and in a world that I understand. This is a huge intergalactic tale, but they found a way to make it relatable to what was going on on our planet. So the first issue is a little rough for me because it is about intergalactic, like, uh, governments and, and you know how they all relate to each other and they're trying to get this big thing together to take over Earth because they think the superheroes are a danger. Are you an intergalactic kind of comic reader? That's not what I meant. But. You know, I kind of thought I was, but now I, I think it's it's very hit or miss because I read this and I felt like the closest thing I could compare it to was the Annihilators stuff in Marvel 
um, back around like 2004. Yeah. And uh, the the stuff that got the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy going again. But um, I really didn't like that storyline because it just seemed like it was too one-sided, like it was just absolutely impossible for Earth to survive because there were just, you know, all these other races against them. And that's how this is, too. It just, it, it seems like, it seems like so impossible for, for anybody to survive when there's this many other planets and races and starships out there that could just come obliterate us at any time. <laughs> yeah. it, it almost creates a sense of paranoia in me. Well, you know, and these are kind of obscure. They're kind of obscure aliens, except for Ran and Thanagar, which, you know, we all know, you know, comic book readers are fairly well-known uh, worlds, but these other ones are completely, like, not to use a pun, but alien to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're very well-known, most of the major ones in the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, the, but here's, I don't know. Yeah, here's the thing. The storyline is kind of crazy because... They demand, instead of taking over the Earth at first, they demand that they give up their heroes so they don't have to destroy Earth because they truly believe that the heroes of Earth will destroy the entire galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, they've got this whole thing, like, just really a birth about uh, Earth creating so many superheroes. And uh, I've never seen this explained in this way in the DC Universe. I don't know if this is really canon these days, but they have this whole concept that um, there's something in our genetic structure that causes us to make superheroes so often. <laughs> oh, it's probably Monsanto. Uh, like when we... Huh? It's probably the Monsanto. Like, oh, all... it's Monsanto? <laughs> yeah, yeah mutants. of course. But yeah, they, they think, like, just, oh, put a human under stress, and, like, one time out of 30, he'll make a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> that was a crazy storyline. I mean, they're talking about, like, they killed all these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they do, kill like a thousand people in order to get like eight superheroes? Yeah, which they did not Something expect like that. that many. They're like, oh, hey, wait, what? This is a higher amount than we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, they, it's like they both want to get rid of us, but at the same time, figure out what makes us tick and control us, I guess. Yeah. So I that did. maybe they can harness our, our, our super abilities to their own ends or something. I, I guess is what the dominators are after. Yeah, it's uh, the first half. Is, that's all right. Lot, yeah, a lot of it's just about politics, about the, all these people coordinating to take over Earth and see who will be on their side, who won't be on their side. And of course, that little that little side piece where they decide to create their own superheroes. But um, I don't think any of those people they created ever went on into the DC universe as a hero. Do you? Did any of them look familiar? Uh, yeah, they had like a little mini series or something, and then I think it just fizzled. Because huh. about it. Huh. Yeah, oh, some, the blasters. Some of the oh blasters. Okay, I just didn't realize that's what that was. I remember that miniseries. Okay, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> that might have been their last appearance. It might have been, yeah. Uh, Zero hour probably erased their existence or something stupid. <laughs> the um the miniseries uh, that you usually get in the summer, they rarely ever have any lasting ramifications. And invasion, I think that's why it's not that remembered, is because a lot of this didn't last. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I know that they did a few crossovers, and a funny thing about this is I know I was collecting comics at that time, but none of the crossovers left any impression on me. Like, I may own a couple of them, but I don't remember them, don't remember reading them. Uh, I remember the miniseries much more than I do any of the crossovers. Yeah, I don't feel like it had a lot of impact on the on the DC universe. 
Well, yeah, Crisis, Zero Hour, um, Secret I- or uh, Identity Crisis, you know, stuff like that really had an impact. But they always had these filler ones, like Atlantis Attacks and um, what is the one? What is the one that came after Crisis before Invasion? It was uh, you even told me to read it. Damn it, uh, Millennium. Oh, was it Millennium? Uh, Legends or oh, Millennium? Yeah. Legends and Millennium, I think, came before Invasion. Both, I don't know if there was any. I think uh, Legends was important because that gave birth to Justice League International, the version that you know I love so much with all the crazy hijinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other than creating a couple super teams, I wouldn't say Legends really did a whole lot to be DC Universe. The, uh, uh, I don't know Millennium did much of anything. Yeah, I, maybe I'm not in the know about that. Yeah, the uh, so the first issue of Invasion um, ends with them demanding that they surrender all their heroes, which is weird because it's not like they own them. It's not like they're property. It's like, yeah, sure, Superman will hand it over like a car. Uh, and they tell them to drop dead. <laughs> and this is when it gets good. Mm-hmm. Book two. Um, we got Battleground <laughs> Earth. Yep, I'm, I'm very proud of Earth. I, I know this is a fictional thing and all that, but I was very <laughs> proud of her. They didn't give him up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's... Uh, yeah, they tried to stick it to him. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind yeah. of subconsciously leaks into your brain and gives you that... Um, it kind of enables people. I think that's what thing, the comic books... Our generation has been raised on these kind of things where even, like, the simple person, they can find a way to fight unbelievable odds. You know, I think it helps make some people mm-hmm. braver. It sounds silly to say that, but you know, um, what, what whatever gives you strength to make yeah, it through honestly, the day. Honestly, most of the the big uh, epic movies of the early to late nineties, especially, that was the storyline, wasn't it? You know, uh, from Star Wars, The Last Starfighter, Labyrinth. You know, most of those movies were about one person trying to overcome crazy odds. Yeah, so. and uh, so your wife. I don't know. It's well, it does seem weird. It's well, I think it's because of Star Wars. Star Wars took this little farm boy and made him go up against like the greatest sorcerer. Well, <laughs> not sorcerer, Jedi, uh, evil Jedi in the universe, Sith. What, what, what's wrong with my? I, I'm going to hand my nerd card in now. <laughs> He's a sorcerer. No, I don't know. I've been. I, this is a long day. I, I've done four podcasts already. I'm getting to the end. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. But you know, there are plenty of people who equate Jedi's with sorcery, so. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, there's some nut cases out there. With it. Oh, it's just akin to, uh, uh, you know, Satanism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, there's people out oh, there boy. who banned Harry Potter because it had to do with uh, witchcraft and whatever. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so bizarre. But anyway, okay, back to Invasion and uh, Run. superheroes yeah. going up against. Okay, so we're in issue two. Against you guys. Uh, these are the bad guys that we have. We have the Dominion, which are the main villains, with the big red dots. I think it's funny. There's a weird subplot about the one alien who's trying to figure out, you know, all these little ways of beating Earth without, you know, like a head-on, you know, confrontation. And he talks about the fact that, oh, I'll get a bigger red dot on my head. <laughs> that's how they, <laughs> that's how they class themselves. <laughs> bigger dots. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty weird. Um, did you feel like, by the way, I felt like just glancingly, I want to mention. I wondered if this was 1988, was anybody like uh, culturally sensitive enough to be offended by the red dot looking like uh, the Japanese flag? Holy um, and these shit. guys look a little bit like the old Fu Manchu, yellow kind of stuff they would put in the 40s comic. 
Oh my I god, I didn't even get that. You you just made that come through my brain. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, I hope that's all unintentional, because it's a little a little close there. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's look at the creators here. Keith Giffen, yeah. Bill Mantlo. Okay, Bill Mantlo does these huge sci-fi epics, usually from Marvel. You know, like he's on Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think he did Nova and Rom and stuff like that. Keith Giffen, mm. uh, big DC guy, <laughs> still working his ass off. Uh, Giffen, um, of course, worked on the Fantastic JLI, and I, I think he's doing um, League of... Uh, Legion or something like that. Legionnaires right now? Yeah. Yeah, Giffen's done so many different types of things. I, I, yeah, I don't know what his, uh, you know, ethos or what concepts he's into, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys that gets... He's not a household name. He's not, like, a really, like, champion guy, but he's been around for 35, 40 years doing great work. For, and, 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 you know, no real, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's garbage. That's beneath him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, he's usually pretty good. All right. So I'm hmm. looking at the other villains. Okay, so we're talking about these. Yeah. <laughs> we are having a delay. Yeah, the other main villains are the... Hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just didn't realize, when we switched over during that little break, for some reason now there's mm-hmm. a delay when there wasn't one before. But um, I'm just going to talk about the villains Uh-oh. real quick. We got the Duralons, which I've never heard of. The Kund, which I've never heard of. The Gill Dishpan, which look like tapeworms. The Ocran Warlords, never heard of the Thangarians. Okay, I know the Thangarians. Uh, yeah, and the Thangarians, I, I feel like I keep running into, it seems like every, I don't know, every alien universe I run into lately, there's somebody who reminds me of the Ferengi uh, from, from Star Trek, at least in name. And, I, and even, like, sometimes they'll have the same exact name. I guess this is just random, it happens stance. Nothing to do with it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> did you happen to notice that they mentioned the but fact yes. that Hawkman and Hawk Girl that um, that they don't agree with their ways that the Thanagarians have a whole different thought pattern on how to take care of Earth? Oh, I think you said Thanagarians. I thought there was somebody in here with that name. No, um, no. Yes, Thanagar- Thanagarians yeah. from Thanagar. Yeah, they have like a fascist, uh, really crazy society. Unfortunately. Yeah, I've been thinking of picking up Hawkworld um, because I heard that dive more into their universe, like, you know, their politics and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't suspect that they, they had that kind of society. I guess they haven't paid much attention. So, yeah, I, I think I'd probably be pretty aggravated reading Hawkworld, though, if that's how if that's how their world is. Mm. It's funny, I'm looking at some of the heroes here. We got Aquaman back when he still had the orange outfit. We got the Doom Patrol, who seem to die. The Doom Patrol die, like, every five years, and they always seem to come back, and I still don't give a shit. No one cares about the Doom Patrol. Nobody. Yeah. Well, yeah, and back then I I kind of felt the same way as I did about Suicide Squad, but now they're a big thing, so... Go figure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I hated that movie. Uh, I love the comic book. I was a huge uh, fan, and I kept looking around for Bronze Tiger going, you sons of bitches! <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't enjoy the movie either. Yeah. Uh, I think they can do a lot better. Hopefully it will in some other form or whatever. Maybe. I like the TV version uh, on Arrow. Have they done? Wait, say again? Uh, you know, on Arrow, they have the Suicide Squad. I enjoyed them on that show. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I okay. think season two. Um, yeah, and haven't they done some good cartoons with Suicide Squad? Um, like you've mentioned something like that, but I can't remember. Well, I know Waller shows mm. up in the Justice League cartoon, but I don't know if the Suicide Squad showed up. I, I'm I gotta go look that into that because I think they might be part uh, of Justice League. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And we have... Um, okay, thank you. Well, there really is a huge friggin' delay. Uh, Starman. Do you remember this 80s version of Starman, which I think got killed off? Uh, vaguely. <laughs> yeah, he had like 75 yeah. issues, and then all of a sudden got rebooted in the James Robinson version that you and I both enjoy quite a bit. Mm. Yes, yes, that was very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I kind of like seeing him here. Uh, Captain Adam also had quite a bit of, of space. Uh, yeah, I just in general, I kind of enjoyed the particular set of superheroes they put in here. Manhunter is a weird opinion. one. I didn't remember him even being a thing. It, Martian Manhunter? No, no, no. Manhunter. Just Manhunter, the guy in the red suit with the silver mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a real fringe kind of guy. Uh, he, it's funny, he's one of those ones that they could never really get started. They tried several times, and it never went more than, like, 20 issues, I want to say. Um, but I, for, I enjoyed him. I liked him in, like, his, I think his late 70s incarnation, and, uh, and his mid-80s. But then they got kind of weird after that, and they made him, like, sort of a zombie wraith or something. Whoa. After that, I didn't like him. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I like the old Manhunter. What these events always make me think of, and I know you weren't a wrestling watcher at all, um, but there was a thing going on. Every year they'd have this event called Royal Rumble, and they would bring out 30 wrestlers, and there'd be like 15 like main guys. Like, oh yeah, these are the guys that are like hot right now. And then they'd grab like 15 guys who just started, or they were trying to get them going, or they just like kind of been skirting around for a few years just trying to make a name for themselves. It's the same thing. I always finds like there's always like a red rooster, like a lame hero mixed in with them. <laughs> mm, you know, I, I would like to look up at some point which came first, the first Royal Rumble or Contest of Champions by Marvel. <laughs> uh, Contest of Champions <laughs> came first. Uh, I think the first Royal Rumble yeah. was '89. Could be wrong. Oh, okay, okay. Because yeah, it is kind of similar, and uh, and that's the first one I'm aware of by DC or Marvel. I kind of like the Aquaman adventures. You you know, I'm starting to get more and more interested in him. I thought he sucked forever and ever and ever. And then a friend of mine says, no, you really have to go watch it. He doesn't have that, or read it. You, he doesn't have, like, that much of, like, mainstream appeal, but his stories are really well done. That's absolutely true, yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, usually his series are always, like, highly critically acclaimed or whatever and done by good people, uh, but they don't get a lot of attention. There's a character in here who's still around, but this is during a period when he had the stupidest fucking suit you've ever seen in your life. Guy Gardner, dumbest haircut, too. <laughs> um, you know, not to get... Okay, I'm trying to figure out who else can I compare him to. He's not the John Wayne of DC, but boy, is he disturbing. He is just... He is such a jerk in this series. Oh, my God. I've never seen anything like it. You know what What's he kind of reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of Kurt Russell's character in Big Trouble in Little China. You know, kind of a loudmouth, hothead, <laughs> really doesn't know what he's doing, but somehow manages to save the day, and you're not sure how exactly. Yeah, it is It is just so agitating how just his reaction to everything is, I'm better, you're weak, let's kick their ass first and then find out why we did it. Oh, so he's oh Trump. Gosh. He's Trump. Basically, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, he's, and even has orange hair. Oh. I'm trying to avoid the comparison. But yeah. <laughs> I would give a shit. It's my show. Their, yeah. <laughs> if you look at how they handle things, 
Yeah, they're very yeah. Do you remember when Batman punched him in the face in Justice League International was the most satisfying moment in comic book history? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, I do believe I remember that. Yeah. Oh, what about the yeah. dumbass moment where they decided to turn him into like this weird living organism that turned into weapons or something? He's like Arsenal or something like that. Warrior. Guy, oh. I think it was called Guy Gardner Warrior. Oh wow! I remember the title, but no, I don't. I don't think I read that. I pretty much stayed away from Guy Gardner. Couldn't take him. I think I bought a little bit of um, Guy Gardner Reborn because I thought he might actually get reborn in in some good way, but it wasn't really. <laughs> nope. So I just gave up. No, I think Reborn was because they screwed up. They made him like some sort of alien race, like some, you know, descendant of it, and that he could change his arms into weapons or something stupid, and that's why they had to have the Reborn so they could fix that terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that the invasion kind of ends because of Dead Man, of all people. Um, I, wait, I'm trying to remember. Last we were talking about was mostly about issue two. Um, trying to remember Dead Man's involvement. That's not really until issue three, right? It's no, it's actually at the very end of two. You got one of the Kund guys. God, it's hard to say that word without saying something filthy. Um, and then one of the <laughs> yellow, the uh, yellow the alien. Kund. Yeah, the, the Kund with a D. Um, it's at the <laughs> end, and they're about to hit this uh, surrender signal or something like that. Uh, it looks like he's about to launch a bomb. Or, yeah, okay, I see. Um, green is bomb, red is surrender, and all of a sudden, uh, Dead Man pops out of this guy's body, and oh, holy crap, he blows his brains out. He blows his brains out? That's kind of, uh, wow, for a comic books back in 1988. Yeah, that was very shocking, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a pretty happy moment. I was glad to see this. <laughs> I, and I was shocked that that's how that came about. Do you remember when Craven um, killed himself and everybody lost their minds? They they thought that that was the end of comic books and they started writing all those angry letters. Wait, I'm sorry. When who killed themselves? Craven. Uh, I think it was in Spider Man two ninety four, two ninety six, or something like that. It was Craven's last hunt, and then the comic book ends oh. not with Spider Man defeating him, with him blowing his brains out. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's pretty funny that like, then like three or four months later, Amazing Spider Man has it. Is its greatest heyday ever with Venom and all that. Yeah, it's just Dude, weird. Huh? But no one, yeah. no one killed themselves in comic books. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's that's pretty shocking. All right, chapter three: World Without Heroes. Uh, Todd McFarlane is now off doing the pencils. We got Bart Sears, who people are a huge fan. Oh, sorry, that's sometimes I say things and they don't come out right. There, there are some people out there that are like a big fan of Bart Sears. I am not one of those guys, but I get, I get his appeal. Mm-hmm. I like him, but I can take him or leave him. He, yeah. he definitely. I always appreciate anybody on a comic book who has a definite style, rather than just like the kind of old generic seventies uh, where it just seemed like every artist looked the same. Yeah, well, a um, lot of artists, but were... he has some quirks that really. Go ahead. Uh, a lot of artists were kind of copying Neil Adams, you know, and even um, Jim Aparo, who is my favorite Batman artist, clearly copying off of, you know, uh, Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Bart Sears definitely has some quirks that get to me sometimes where, like, he does foreheads and chins in a really jarring way at times. Uh, 
and some other things like that. But overall, it's pretty good. Yeah, right after this, I believe he jumped over to launching Justice League Europe. Now, he was fine over there, but when he did Blade in, I think, like, 98 or 99... His art style was so extreme by then, I was like, ugh, ugh, I don't understand at all. Yeah, that seemed like one of the many uh, signs of the excesses of the mid-90s for comic books was that, among other things, popular artists who had their own very distinctive style seemed to get, like, out of control with their style. Um, I don't know, in order to make a name for themselves, I guess, they wanted a piece of that, you know, image money <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh, so issue yeah. three launches with them, uh, that one alien who wants a bigger dot in his head, launching that big beam that uh, basically makes every superhero powers go insane. Yeah, I was pretty fascinated about about this storyline, especially because I never knew it existed all this time. Yeah. It was interesting to see that, yeah, he tried to destroy all the superheroes and that uh, it looked like for a while there he was he was going to do a, a pretty darn good job of it. Yeah. It's weird. Major Force was a good guy in this. And Major Force ended up becoming such a huge villain in the Green Lantern world. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he... Uh, oh. Yeah, wasn't it so weird seeing... Wasn't it so weird, though, seeing this, like, giant hospital filled with superheroes? <laughs> yeah. And they didn't know what to do with them, and, yeah. And I think Captain Atom explodes, like, like into were... a nuclear bomb or something. Yeah, yeah, that was shocking. And and most of them are just laying in these beds, about to die for no apparent reason. <laughs> like everybody watching Firestorm freak out, Black uh, Lightning, The Flash, it's just crazy. And then you got like the normal guys just like, what do we do? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was also interesting to me to see who like wasn't affected. And so they, they kind of really broken it down, like who... Who seemed to be a superhero because they were a human from Earth and who had any other explanation for their being a superhero. Yeah. And there, there were kind of enough of them that I thought, oh, okay, I guess we can get by without maybe all of Earth's superheroes. <laughs> it would have been interesting really. if they had gone longer, like these guys that were second and third tier becoming like the main, like Booster and Beetle becoming like the main <laughs> <laughs> heroes. Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we, we had all that. Um, may, do we want to lead through people through the ending? I guess not really. Um, no. I'm not sure. I'm kind of flipping through this. It's weird. Um, uh, Amanda Waller, how they've changed her so much. You know, mm. it's now she, I mean, she's a much darker character now, like more layered. Who is the head of Doom Patrol? Who is this guy with no arms, no legs, and one eye, and like cybernetic bits? He's kind of gross. Wait, I don't, I don't think I remember that guy. I remember Maxwell Lord and yeah. Amanda Waller. Um, trying to think of the guy you're talking about. Oh, wait, one eye. Yes, yes, I see him right here. Dr. Megala? I've never heard of Dr. Megala. Yeah, I know Dr. Magnus. Oh, you know, I think I got the wrong guy. Dr. Magnus is the head of the Doom Patrol. I don't know who Dr. Megala is. Hmm, Dr. Megala, uh, sounds like from a movie. <laughs> well, it sounds like the guy from World War II. Like Wasn't there a guy on the Nazi mm. side in Mengala or something? <clears throat> M- Mengala, I think. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Could be named after him. Yeah, you know what? Let's not reveal the end. I think it's kind of stupid to do so, because then what's the point yeah. of reading it? But it's a it's a great miniseries. It's one of the few, I think, that uh, the DC really did well post-Crisis, pre-Zero Hour, because it seems like the other ones, and I have to read them again, but um, I feel like they weren't as good. But you got some strong talent. Yeah. Yeah, they had 
definitely strong talent here. Um, I kind of like that it only took three issues, but each one of them is really, you know, a fairly meaty read. Yeah. Uh, they definitely up the stakes in an exciting way, having all the superheroes sort of disappear for a while. Um, yeah, I, I give it I give it pretty good marks. Um, so, yeah, you can get those really cheap. I mean, th- there's like a thousand of these on eBay right now. We get them all together for like six bucks or something like that because there is a collected edition, but I believe it's out of print, so the collected edition is really expensive. So, so just go buy the single issue. It's a lot easier that way, and it's a solid tail. It's a solid what? Tail. Snail. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A pale. A whale. Snail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our next episodes are going to be Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. We're kind of, uh, obviously this one took a month to get around to. We're going to try to do it twice a month, but I don't know if that's going to happen. A lot of it's my fault. Um, it's been raining a lot, so it's hard to record. Um, we'll see what we can do. And then, um, we're, you know, we're not going to really stick to any schedule. We get them out, we get them out. Um, thank you, everybody, for the support so far. Um, I think if things keep going strong like this, I think I'll build a separate page for Comics on Infinite Earths. Uh, for podcasts all alone. But right now you can find them on the Back in Tunes page as well if you like animation and cartoons. They kind of go hand in hand. And uh, thank you, William. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, just my podcast called Comics I Read to You. It's, uh, sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's like wacky character playing and stuff. But uh, yeah, check that out. And uh, just go read lots of comic books. Yeah. <laughs> and finally uh on amazon i have an ebook out it's called totally true tales the epic life of manchester steel it is the biography of the world's worst liar cannot stop himself and his frustrated editor who has to try to make sense of his insane stories um it's like i have it up there for like really dirt cheap like a few bucks uh and it helps you know pay for this all this stuff that i have to do with the show <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, and we might as well end it with Kiss, A World Without Heroes. I mean, how appropriate is that? (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of one of the issues. By the way, Kiss's most unsuccessful album nearly destroyed the band. It's actually fantastic. the new song said it's back in tunes jacob michael here your animation archaeologist that honestly we're lazy uh it's poorly researched and it's half-assed and we're just here to have fun um we're sorry <laughs> we are shameful and embarrassed um but you know sometimes we really know our cartoons sometimes we're just testing out the cartoon for the first time like i said we're archaeologists we just we kind of want to see everything and discuss everything some stuff we know the whole storyline some stuff we only know a few episodes some we actually gave up during the first episode and said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not punching Nazis. No. So, you know, that's the only difference. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, man, I actually, can we can we punch Nazis? You know what, hold on, we're going to pause the show and go punch some Nazis. We'll be right back. <laughs> exactly. Just like Indy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, so, so uh. here's a, uh, yeah, yeah, oh. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, so this episode is uh, right after our third anniversary. I can't believe that people actually cared about that episode because we discussed American Pop, a movie that made hardly any money, and Cool World, a huge flop that's actually quite terrible, yet one of our biggest episodes ever. <laughs> so I guess you just stick with us for everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to fart on the mic for about a half hour and then just go, I like cartoons, and then leave. Yeah, no. All while uh, trying to do uh, impressions of Woody Allen. Which I thought Walken. He did a Woody Allen impersonation right before we went on air, and I was like, is that Christopher Walken or Dustin Hoffman? He's like, no, it's Woody Allen. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's funny, uh, their cadences kind of aren't to too far off. Oh, I know, especially with my voice. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm thinking as Woody Allen, you know, just trying to, you know, just figure out the whole, you know, shtick of this. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, Christopher Walken, and I tell somebody, hey! You're talking in the wrong tone there. You threw it again. Stab me in the face with a soldering iron. <laughs> and then, you know, then I try to do some, like, Bugs Bunny out of nowhere. back. like, eh, what's up, Doc? I don't give a shit. I'm moving on. <laughs> All right, so this episode is going to be our Looney Tunes episode. We did say that we're going to do, like, a trilogy of Looney Tunes discussions. Like, we're just going to pick certain characters, discuss them, and move on. Uh, I changed right. my mind. Uh, unless something falls through, then we'll we'll figure something out. But uh, we're going to do one episode where we discuss uh, Looney Tunes, what we think, what our favorites are, you know, what we think of the characters and stuff like that, our favorite directors and stuff like that. Uh, and then I'm going to have the gang over at Above the Airwaves hopefully tackle an episode, and then the gang over at What Did We Just Watch also tackle an episode. Kind of get a different perspective on that universe. Uh, and I was also thinking, later down the road, we will pick specific directors. Uh, talk about their non-Looney Tunes stuff as well as their Looney Tunes stuff. Like, you know, Chuck Jones did some great stuff over at MGM uh, with Looney, uh, with uh, Tom and Jerry and then his own stuff. Uh, Tex Avery, after he left and went to MGM. Um, looks like everybody just at MGM just hired every Warner Brothers. <laughs> I know. It's like, if anything, Warner Brothers dumped him and then, you know, MGM just, you know, recycled. Which wouldn't be too bad. I kind of wish they would do that, you know, these days. But, yeah. no. Um, so we have like you know like Robert McKimson and Frizz Freeling and, and other actor uh, directors out there. We'll we'll discuss those separately. Uh, right now it's just kind of a general discussion on Looney Tunes. I wasn't sure if we should even tackle this because a billion people have written books about it, done documentaries, done podcasts about it. Should we bother? Because we usually try to pick more obscure stuff. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway because we want to do all things animation, and that'll include some you know puppeteering counts as animation. It's not drawn, but it's animation. Uh, I know. Claymation, you know? Yeah. Precisely. Oh, God, Claymation would be fun to do. Yeah. Plus, I mean, we've already tackled, you know, Disney classics and whatnot. Now, why not go with, you know, other stuff we, you know, grew up watching? The ones that taught us how to be misfits and how to mess around with people. <laughs> uh, well, with Disney, I honestly, I, I feel like a tool, but I, you know, you and I discussed it a couple years ago. Like, the only ones that were interesting to us were uh, Donald Duck and Goofy, whereas the entire Looney Tunes universe to me is amazing. Um... But let's start off with the music first before we really get into this. So, here we go. What the fuck? <laughs> Way to kill it, Michael. What? I don't know what happened. I, I've been having problems with VLC media player. I shouldn't have used that. But nothing else is working. I think my computer's starting to go. I'm worried. <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's wearing down on you. You're, it, it's aging with you, Michael. It's going insane. Uh, it's I got, insane I got gray brain. pubes and a broken computer. You're getting Alzheimer's so bad. It's oh, 
Oi, Faye. <laughs> All right, so... You need to eat more grapefruit. I mean, it, it's an obvious to start off with uh, Bugs Bunny, so I guess, you know, just let's start off with their biggest mascot. Oh, of course, my gosh. I mean, not only was it the biggest mascot, but it was also definitely one of the most... He definitely wasn't like Mickey, you know, all nice, you know, all nice, kind... You know, the big-hearted one of the group. He was definitely... If you really, if you look at some of this, as we discuss this further on, if you look at some of the characters uh, from Looney Tunes, uh, other than the exception of, like, Porky Pig and, like, you know, a couple others, yeah, they're all a bunch of assholes. <laughs> they all have some are. kind of asshole quantity. In one way or another, they're a bunch of tools. Whereas if you look at the Disney World, it seemed like either they're, like, if they were rough, it was because it was unintentional. Um, whereas Looney Tunes really, like, embrace the flawed human being in one way or another. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you look at, um, you look at Bugs Bunny in, like, one episode in particular. Um, it was, like, early Elmer Fudd, you know, before he got all, before he, like, you know, got thinner and wore a big hat and was primarily dressed as a hunter. He looked, he would look like a miner. Or maybe it was a different character, just, you know, same voice actor. And he was just, like, uh, he would just see the guy walking by and he just messed with him the whole time. He gave him... He, Practically gave him a heart attack, tried to blow him up with his own dynamite. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, he was an instigator for sure. Uh, and he still was like that for a long, long time. Um, you know, just being kind of a tool. But I, I thought it was funny, like, later in the 50s when Chuck Jones really, and Frizz really got a hold of him. Uh, the people he would instigate were usually, like, just fucking assholes, you know. Um, Yosemite Sam losing it all the time. I, my particular favorite is, like, the, I, and this is the part where the uh, diehard... Looney Tunes people are going to hate our guts because they can't remember a damn name. But it's, uh, yeah. you know, the pirate one where they're in the ships blowing each other up. It just, and, and that would be kind of a repeated formula where, you know, Yosemite Sam or somebody else would get so wound up in whatever it is that they were doing and kind of trip over their own feet. And Bugs would just kind of sit back and just wait for that perfect moment and, you know, slap it down like, you fool! <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, that's, that's what he would do. He would mind fuck everybody. Oh, my God. Uh, like, when, you know, so the, you know, he's being chased, and he's trying to get out of the chase, so he would have to hurry up and uh, hide behind a tree and cross-dress, yeah. and then try to seduce them and tell them to go that way. And then, of course, put another trick on him and then, again, run away. <laughs> this is one of my favorites, just because it's so weird. It's so different. The opera one, where it's... Uh... Bugs is dressed as a woman, and, and then uh, Elmer Fudd, kill the wabbit. a song around 1991 I don't remember who the singer was but it used to play at the 5 o'clock Friday like whenever everybody get off of lunch for the weekend and it was uh, oh, like an Ozzy Osbourne Dio version of this song and he's like uh, I'm a wabbit swayer a guitar player with a nasty habit kill the wabbit kill the wabbit kill the wabbit do you remember the song at all have you heard that oh my uh not really. <laughs> Jeez, I want to know who sang that song because it's bugging me to no end. 
Oh jeez, I don't play you now. It's stuck in my head. Now I have to. Now I have to research this after the. <laughs> but it was badass. But it was funny at the same time. <sighs> I mentioned, you know, killing rabbits was not a very pretty thing as a child in a cartoon. It's funny, but when you're an when you're a child and you see it in real life, you're terrified. You're traumatized. It's a little <laughs> fucked up. You sound a little bit like Henry Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? You sound like that? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Nixon, he had kind of a, a way of talking about, you know, it's really gravelly, but also like a way of a, you know, enunciation problem. Oh, God, I, I thought he had a German accent, too. Yeah, I don't know where Henry Kissinger came from, but, um, again, reminded you, poorly researched, poorly educated. I, I slept <laughs> through a couple of classes in first grade. I've been catching up ever since. Right. All we know is that he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> We're just we're we're pretty much Bill and Ted on this. <laughs> uh, what was oh, he man. says? Uh, you know, like oh no, I'm thinking of summer school. He's like it was very, 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 very good. <laughs> That's a hundred words, right? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it counts. Uh, there's never a limit on what word we could use, so they walked <laughs> around it. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, oh, man. okay. So yeah. people say that Chuck Jones was kind of cold when he approached his characters. Um, it's kind of a newer idea that, that Frizz Frilling was a funnier one. And I think each director brought something specific to each character. Um, y without all those people having a different chance at each character, I don't think they'd be fully developed. Because Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck were completely different in the beginning. Because, like you said, there were a bunch of lunatic assholes who just purposely instigated. But as it went along, you know, Bugs Bunny started becoming like, you know, the wise ass, but very intelligent, patient kind of character. Whereas Daffy Duck was like, who we really are, you know, a wound up, anxious, nervous, where Bugs Bunny is who we wanted to be. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know. Oh, I never thought of it that way before. I did want to be like Bugs Bunny because he was the always one that ended, he was always the one that ended up winning. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, even when you go through like uh, some of those movies, like Daffy Duck's uh, Quackbusters, uh, which is like a collection of all their uh, some of their best work. And what I liked is that you know it was finally about Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck was actually a star. And that's, and also, I think, um, that, yeah, he, you definitely, oh, you definitely tell right off the bat there was jealousy because he'd always want to go after Bugs. He always wanted to set him up to get him killed, you know. Heck, even with um, that one shtick, uh, they would always go, you know, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season. They'd always switch off. Yeah. You know, to get each other. And then, of course, Bugs Bunny still always mind-fucking people because, <laughs> you know, because they were you know, in this repetitive motion. Then Bugs Bunny, being a smart one, being open-minded, was like, okay. Let me say what he said. Duck season. <laughs> rabbit season. All right, now rabbit season. Duck season. Fire. Boom. <laughs> of course, they'd have to... And, and then it's kind of fucked up how they would put Elmer Fudd as the middleman because he had to make the tough choice to kill either Bugs or Daffy. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I don't, oh. I don't know what to do. And he would just like shoot his bill off and would spin around. Torturing Daffy. I, Daffy is my favorite character by a long shot. And it's not just uh, the ones that, you know, the duck season, wabbit season. I loved it when he would play, like, Robin Hood or Sherlock Holmes. Um, uh, you know, like the or Western. Duck Dodgers. Duck Dodgers, of course, being the big one. But um, uh, this is the one from Robin Hood. Join up with me, so joyous and free. That's my duo Sherwood High. For I'm Robin Hood, and I'm very good at avoiding the sheriff's eye. So we'll trip along merrily, or the green sword so gracefully. To trip it, trip it, trip it, trip it, trip it up and down. To trip it, 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 trip it. 
<laughs> Porky just loosened <laughs> Oh god. That's right. Oh no, I remember, yeah, Porky was uh, Little John. Yeah. You know what's funny is that Porky was like their first mascot. Do you remember the older ones? And, and there used to be, um, when I was a kid, I don't think you had it. But during the 80s, there was a company called AAP. I think Associated Artists Productions or something like that. And they bought up all of the old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons that weren't airing as the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour on ABC. And you'd find weirdo stuff. Like the one with uh, uh, the... Oh, who's the guy? You bother me, Sean. You bother me. W.C. Fields. Um, and, yeah, and they were like mice, and they're riding through the store, and there was like a little mouse. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. Go away, Sean. You bother me. And then they stop at these little things, and there'd be like a little vignette, and go on to the next one, vignette. And a lot of the cartoons were like that. Like, I remember there was one where uh, it was just like all the famous people at that time, like Card Gable and, and whoever, and they were in a restaurant. Like, Bing oh, Crosby would come in. You're going to have to speak up, Jacob. I can't hear anything you say. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I said, oh yeah, like uh, Frank Sinatra and Peter Laurie and all them. Right. They definitely. And... Oh, they they went batshit crazy with Peter Laurie. Oh my god. <laughs> like the Mr. Motto with uh, Porky Pig. Yeah. Like in the end, the Phantom ended up being Peter Lo Peter Laurie. You know, he would always skunk around and be care whenever they wanted to introduce him. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and I think those were more the merry melodies. I think they were focused around the songs that Warner Brothers owned at the time instead of focusing on mascots, but. Porky Pig was the first like real mascot, and there's probably a couple dozen where it's focused around him. But clearly, they had not connected to audiences yet. And I don't think it was till World War II when they started airing him to all the soldiers. And, and Bugs Bunny and Daffy really took off because they were insane, batshit insane oh, characters. Yeah. Woo, 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 woo. Oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> oh god. My coworkers and I would mention that sometimes. Like sometimes, like when I'd laugh, I would always do that when I'd trick them and mess with them. He's like, "Gosh, you're like Daffy Duck right now." Speaking of, actually, oh, especially Daffy the Commando in particular, that one, oh my gosh, he drove the Nazis insane. Yeah, I, and then yeah, at the end, you forget about the era where a uh, lot of the cartoons were heavily focused on like you know kicking Hitler's ass. Oh gosh, who wouldn't want to? Everybody wanted to. Yeah, but I apparently not now. Apparently, some people are like embracing Hitler. It's it's shocking that we now live in a society where. People are, uh, oh yeah, you know what, uh, modern day Nazis. Well, you spit in the face of all those people who fought in World War II. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. I know. I mean, well, nowadays, oh gosh, uh, no, I think it was like during the inaug uh, U.S. inauguration uh, earlier this uh, er uh, earlier this year. No, that one guy just straight up got punched in the face, and he yeah. was a total Nazi. <laughs> like, give it, oh god, man, that went viral so quickly. Oh my. Anyway. Well, I, in particular, um, Daffy the Commando, like, at the end, you know, he's getting away from all, like, the Nazi birds and whatever. Then he hides in a cannon, and then he gets shot out of it, and he's, like, in this... It doesn't bother him. He's, like, in this... He's suddenly in this, like, human cannonball uh, uh, outfit. And then, next thing you know, it's, like, a rotoscoped uh, Adolf Hitler. You know, Daffy Duck lands nearby. Then when he, like, sneaks up behind him, gets a mount and just hits him in the face, and he's just all, like, wobbly and everything. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and I'm thinking about some of the how it changed. Like you said, it was it was heavily on like World War II, like you know, positive propaganda, you know, kicking Hitler's ass. And then when that was over with, the attitude uh, changed a little bit. It became more like gag, 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 gag. You tried to uh, catch up with what uh, Tom and Jerry were doing, you know, where it wasn't so heavily focused on story or character development. It was just let's get as many gags as possible in our you know seven minutes. Yes, with the, what little time they do have, yeah. 
you and yeah, no, I do realize that, which was kind of nice. You know, it would just be like, hey, let's all go and poke fun of ourselves now. But let's always let's always let bugs win. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, some things would change. Tex Avery left. He went over to MGM and would do great, wonderful, fantastic, like little uh, uh, animation over there, where it was like heavy on gags, and outrageous, like visuals. Uh, Frank Tashlin left. He went to do live action. Um, if you've ever seen Will Success spoil Rock Hunter with Jane Mansfield and uh, Tony Randall, uh, you get to see strong visual style from Frank Tashlin that he took from animation there. Uh, and then that's when like McKimson and Frizz and Chuck really started to come up to the forefront and take over. A lot of people forget about McKimson because he wasn't heavy on gags. He also wasn't heavy on visual. He was kind of like workman-like. But his cartoons aren't terrible, but I, I would say that... I. I don't think any of them would be in my top 25. In fact, most people don't know who Robert McKimson yeah, is. I don't. I'm completely lost. Yeah, I'm it, screwed. I he, only know what I knew. He seemed like one of those guys that just, <laughs> they kept going because he would get it on schedule and, and people liked it. Um, you know, it, it would fill like their quota of, you know, they had to have a short, like I think every two weeks uh, for a while there. Um, but it's in the 50s when oh, wow. things started really getting amazing. Chuck Jones's visual style uh, exploded. And the speed of uh, Frizz Freeling's jokes really picked up. Um, but there are some golden gems during the 50s, especially when they started going like brighter colors and CinemaScope, where it's really huge visuals. Um, you know, you're talking like oh, yeah. during the era that we like with uh, Duck Dodgers and stuff like that and Duck Season, Wabbit Season. And then, of course, you've got like a wide range of characters. Like you've got Speedy Gonzalez and Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, God, Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Fucking creep. Uh, Pepe Le Pew creeps me out because he's basically a cartoon rapist. Pretty much, yeah. No, there's no question about it. Jesus, he's always forcing himself on women, uh, even the ones that aren't even, like, you know, skunks and just can't stand to be around him. They're always like these vicious wildcats. Heck, even that one uh, cat, um, I think it was like an escaped panther, and then eventually, uh, again, got, you know, got like a little stain of paint on its back and he thought it was a skunk and he starts <laughs> making a move on her and then she just tears him up and he still tries to pursue her. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. no means no, asshole. Hello, my darling. Go away. No, I will not because I am a asshole. I am a Republican. I mean, whoops. <laughs> I am a misogynist, no? Even though I am French, I really <laughs> like to make fun of the French. <laughs> um... You know, I just uh, realized there was a really, really funny one here. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> I just screwed up. Which one was it? Did it who did it involve? Did it involve the Sh big red hairy monster? Shut up! Can't uh, stand oh, that. I love that one with the Bigfoot. Um, no, I was going to... Oh, I will name him. I will name him Harry, and I will name him... Jo All right, I will name him George, and I will pet him, and <laughs> squeeze him, There's... and hug him, and keep him. There's some that I kind of <laughs> forgot about, um... And I don't remember the characters, but uh, it was like a vulture, and he was really dopey. He was like, well, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, 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 <laughs> Oh, God, what was his name? That's on the tip of my tongue. All. I can't remember. And I remember there was this one with, uh... oh, here it is, the Gremlins one. And this might be the reason there's a movie about Gremlins. Oh, my God. Of course, this gremlin is way different than the one in the live-action version. 
most definitely. This one's a little bit more cuter and adorable. And they're like, oh, look at him. He couldn't hurt anybody. But no, he could. <laughs> he sounded like he enjoyed that a little too much. <laughs> hey, Matt. Let me take a whack at it. <laughs> this, this one box wasn't too bright. There was a period where he was kind of a dope. I don't know why they chose this, but later you get a lot wiser. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, especially during World War II, they, that's when they really introduced that Gremlin character. Yeah. And that's the one who actually outsmarted Bugs. Yeah, that's the only that's one of the very few times that Bugs was actually outsmarted. There are super Bugs. Oh, uh. oh, oh, this is, I forgot these guys, George and Sam, the, the sheepdog and the wolf. Oh, the... Who I thought was, he looks just like Wile E. Coyote. It's crazy how Chuck Jones didn't really didn't make a huge difference between the two. Sam. <laughs> Have a good day, Ralph. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> My God, the animation from the 50s is so much better than most animation decades afterwards. We talk about cartoons from the 70s and 80s, and they look like shit compared to this. Oh, and I, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you what it really could be. I mean, like budget. Could have been their equipment they were using. Could it have been a certain time. Maybe the time period during the 70s, you know, everything just went so dark and, you know, into a state of degradation, especially after the Vietnam War. Yeah. Maybe. Well, it, Warner Brothers was putting these in front of movies, like they're big movies, and they wanted people to come to it. Some people would just come to a movie just for the short. And so. Just for the, just for the animated short serials, yeah. Yeah, and then Warner Brothers was spending fifty to $75,000 for a seven minute. And of course, I think it started off at eight, and it slowly got shorter and shorter and shorter until the point where I, got, I think it got about six minutes. Um,. And you know they were they were the second biggest. Disney always spent more. They spent seventy five thousand to a hundred thousand. Where where um, Warner Brothers was a little bit less, but not as bad as like you know Woody Woodpecker, you know, uh, and Tom and Jerry were a little bit less. Um, but you see it like every single right. penny is spent on Looney Tunes. They look just astonishing even today. Oh, I know, especially when you watch them in HD, they look just as great. Heck, even some of the uh, old, um, even some of the old uh, classic. Uh, Disney movies like Peter Pan or something. You watch that on like uh, Blu-ray quality, you know, uh, disc, and uh, it's still everything just like brightens up. Everything looks so clean. No black dots. Nothing. Yeah. It looks as if it was just made today. It's fantastic. I love it. Now, Foghorn Leghorn is a character. Uh, it's funnier now, I think, because we now know so many dumb shit, know it all, but know nothing. Southern boys. Um, <laughs> we talk a lot, but Sadly, nobody, yes. you know, they don't really know anything, and sometimes they get their ass kicked. But um, I think it's funny is when the chicken hawk would come in, like later. Uh, chicken hawk. Oh god, which one was that one? That's a little guy. I'm a chicken hawk. I hunt chickens. He always try to kick the crap out of. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> that little, that little shit. <laughs> My God, the music's so good, and that's the other thing you forget is how insanely good the score was. Oh right, yeah. Oh, and I forgot the dog. If it wasn't for the chicken hawk, the dog would just give him hell all the time. Oh my God, I know that was like his mortal enemy. 
Did he even make an appearance in Space Jam? I'm sure every character made some sort of appearance, but yeah, you know, uh, let's talk about that real quick. Space Jam versus Looney Tunes back in action. I know most people prefer Space Jam. It was the big successful one, but I feel like it is not a true Looney Tunes movie. It's just taking the characters and putting it in a sellable uh, concept. Whereas Looney Tunes back in action, Joe Dante really understood the animation and stuck close to that universe. It's a far superior movie. No, oh god, yeah. Even after watching that first chase scene with Brendan Fraser going through all the sets, yeah, and then heck, even to the point where he's like, "Hey, I'm sorry, Batman." Like it's actually Batman filming his own thing, yeah. Like not some guy dressed as Batman. It's <laughs> actually Batman. <laughs> well, I think the, the best scene is when they're running through the art gallery, and then they'll like get caught in these famous paintings, like in pointillism. They'll turn into little points and trying to move along it, and then and then uh, Elmer Fudd's like screaming along with this the screen painting. It's it's a really clever moment, but the movie bombed horribly because Warner Brothers was dumb as hell and opened it a week after Elf, which they also owned. What were they thinking? I don't know. It was. It was I mean. For them, it's like kind of a win-win scenario. They're still making a lot of money. But, again, this should have been released at least, uh, a little bit later. Honestly, it did great. with You know, it got good uh, critical reviews. But, again, it just didn't make the money, just like with the Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Oh, we're going to tackle that someday. That is such a damn good movie. Oh, my God. That's like one of the best interpretations of Batman ever. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, overall, like it had a great cast. You had Steve Martin. You know, you had classic... Uh, Classic comedian in there. He's such a nebbish weirdo oh. in that movie. Yeah, I know. Oh, like trying to hit on um, Jenna Elfman. Yeah. And then you had Timothy Dalton, Heather Locklear. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, they had like quite a quite a bit of people. They were like really trying to range like all sorts of entertainment. Wrestlers, you know, big wrestling fans would come in just to watch for Goldberg. <laughs> and Heather Locklear, got Heather Locklear was still big. Everybody still loved Heather Locklear. Yeah, Ron Everybody Perlman. still wanted Heather Locklear. Oh gosh, Ron Perlman. Who was he in that one again? He's one of the uh, staff members of Steve Martin. They're all like in that big boardroom, and they're all sitting around the table, and Ron Perlman's one of those guys. Oh, yeah, he was like the Acme vice president. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Gosh, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah. Hopefully it's still on Netflix. Probably. Uh, we got Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner. Uh, that carried Warner Brothers for like a decade because that was heavy just on visuals alone. Yeah, I know, and neither character spoke. I mean... <laughs> Heck, even Roadrunner, just like, you know, all he did was just beep, and Wiley would just try to come up with so many ways to kill him. Yeah, and he'd always kind hold up like, signs, kind of like, ouch, or something like that. He wouldn't say anything, but he would show a little sign. I, and he does speak, though. Uh, Wiley Coyote did a couple where he fights uh, Bugs Bunny, and then he talked in that one. Oh, wow. Then when they finally break the silence on this character, yeah. he just had so enough. But he's but very eloquent, I would... you know. He's highly educated, oh. and he knows exactly what he's doing, but he talks a lot, and he really doesn't know anything. Right. Now, as far as it goes for uh, Wiley, though, like, why is he so hell-bent on Roadrunner? What did Roadrunner do? I mean, Roadrunner seems like the kind of guy who's just, like, just blazing through everything, causing so much destruction in his wake, yet not realizing what, you know, what damage he's done. He probably did something very personal to Wiley. Roadrunner might not be so fucking innocent. You know no. what? I hope that fucking forget Well, <laughs> if you look, Wiley Coyote uh, probably didn't have much food, so he's always after the one food source that's around. But, um, one, I don't understand why Roadrunner doesn't move along. Like, he just continue on down. Or is a Wiley Coyote just chasing him all through the desert, like states, you know, <laughs> Utah, Montana. <laughs> um, is he like a stalker? Or, you know, by then, Wiley Coyote should have been, like, emaciated, like, almost dead, just barely able to move along. And, like, uh, like the Walking Dead. Precisely. 
The Wily Dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that would actually would be a bad crossover. <laughs> Speaking of crossovers, I remember there was a time <laughs> where uh, they did kind of cross over uh, where um, they would portray, you know, big DC superheroes. Um, I forget, Porky Pig played Robin, Daffy Duck was Batman, Bugs Bunny was Superman, and Elmira? No, no, no. Who was who was the female pig's name? I keep forgetting. You got me on that one, man. I don't know. Wonder I know there was a female Bugs Bunny too, but uh, I don't remember any of those characters at all. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know in uh, well, I know in the '90s in Space Jam, yeah, they introduced Lola. Lola. Lola Bunny. La 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 Lola. Oh, her did name you was tell? Lola. She was a cartoon, and she liked to hit on Bugs Bunny at the cartoon. Yeah, no. Cartoon Cabana. My CDs yeah. are smashed definitely... all the hell. I'm looking at my DVDs. I do not take care of them. I was going to throw oh, out another cartoon that it. might not work. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell Lola. She she was into bugs, but it's like she's not going to let it. She's not going to go that easy. Uh-uh. And then he saves her life in Space Jam, and then she loves him. Yeah, they end up kissing each other at the end. They go crazy, and then they flip over the uh, flip over to the next scene. That just lets you know. Looney Tunes were in some freaky shit. <laughs> there was there was some rated R shit going on. Now, uh, later <laughs> in the 60s, they would introduce uh, um, Speedy Gonzales. Some people view it as kind of racist. It's a product of its time. A lot of these cartoons are products of their time. You have to take it as it is. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he was big in Mexico, and it wasn't really seen as derogatory to those people. I think they were happy to see a cartoon character representing, at least in some fashion, you know, Mexico. Um, I do feel like that Warner Brothers was short-sighted and focusing too oh, much definitely. on um, uh, Speedy Gonzales. There are so many cartoons towards the end where it's all Speedy and like Daffy Duck. Those two going up against each other maybe once or twice, but I think they went up against each other like a dozen times. Oh, wow. Either that or Sylvester the Cat. I'd always think like Sylvester the Cat would trade off between... Tweety and Speedy. You, you know, would. Speedy you would think mouth. that would be more appropriate, but it was uh, for a long time it was Daffy versus uh, uh, Speedy Gonzalez, and I don't know why they thought that worked, but you're right. It would have been better for Sylvester and uh, and Speedy. I know. Oh, God, yeah. I know. I'm surprised they never did that. I always thought it would. I, I thought I remember seeing it as a kid. I could be wrong. They might have but... done it a couple times. <laughs> I was never really a fan of the... Uh, well, here it is. Actually, no, you're right. I'm looking at one right now where it's it's they're versus each other. Speedy versus um, I'm getting old, dude. I just said his name like 400 Sylvester? times. Sylvester. Hey, hey, yo, Speedy. Where you think you're going? Come on out. Hello, pussycats. <laughs> so you're gonna pull my tail out by the roots, eh? Oh, that's okay. disgusting. Here. Oh my god, you're just getting right off. Here's your tail, pussy. Ow! don't fuck around. Uh, yeah, this is more of a Tom and Jerry, whereas it doesn't make sense for a duck to chase a mouse in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm like, uh, I don't know. This wouldn't be like a. Hopefully, they wouldn't try to make it off as a tribute to Canteen Plus. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I never really understood the appeal. Do you like uh, Sylvester and Tweety? Uh. Eh, not as much as everybody else, but they were enjoyable. Yeah, you know, it was always it, plus Tweety was just so adorable. June Foray is did, excellent. Did be a pretty yeah, um, Mel Blanc and June Foray working together were great. I really like the one though, where uh, Tweety gets like that Mister Hyde 
uh, chemical and it turns into a giant mutant bird. <laughs> oh, God. That was fucked up. <laughs> oh, God, no. Sylvester was just like, you know, he, he succumbed to mental torture for the rest of his life. He was traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty freaky, though, when you hear that, that snarling and that growling. Yeah, this little kid, it kind of creeped me out. Oh, oh, he's always running to these giant rocks, and they would always land on him. Uh, Watching him is so hilariously painful, though. Yeah, it is. Poor Wiley. Oh, oh, oh gosh. You know, <laughs> I don't think we ever saw a race between Speedy and Roadrunner. Oh, my God, that'd be amazing. Oh, gosh, I know. It's like they go, they run so fast, they go, they break through the time barrier, and next thing you know, they're, uh, <laughs> they hit Flashpoint. They're helping Flash out. <laughs> I didn't realize I had the bear who wasn't a bear. Gazed up at the sky. Away up high, he saw a flock of geese flying south. Then he gazed up at the trees of a forest. The leaves had all Aww, turned brown. It's so beautiful. It has nothing to do with the Looney Tunes universe, but it's an extra on the uh, season, <laughs> not season three, uh, collection three of Looney Tunes. Uh, Chuck Jones did a, a fantastic cartoon, very minimalist in its style, um, but it's about a bear who goes to sleep one winter, <laughs> wakes up with a factory around his cave wanders in and then someone hires him as an employee but he's like but i'm a bear he goes no you're not you're a silly man in a suit <laughs> get to work <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> oh well paul free even then the bear could like sabotage him and destroy him from in the inside because nobody's taking him seriously yeah you know he, he's like milton from office space <laughs> I sabotage i was told i could listen to the music at a reasonable value <laughs> there was one time while I was yeah. at work and everybody was getting um, paperwork and they're all handing it out to everybody in the office and I didn't get the paperwork and I was like oh my god I feel like Milton and one of the guys just laughed so hard and everybody else just stared at us like what the hell are you talking about and I was like oh, I'm just talking about my red, my red stapler <laughs> I'm going to burn this building down <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody like freaked out like oh my god scare me no <laughs> oh god Looney Tunes character. What was that big red idiot? That big red furry freaky thing. Who was that? Which one was that one? Well, there's the, I love him and squeeze him and call him George. But there's also <laughs> the one where um, Bugs Bunny goes to like some, there's a, a bunch of Halloween episodes. And they're probably part of Quackbusters. But oh. it's the one where like the creature gets like, no, that's Bugs. Bugs turns into a Mr. Hyde kind of character. Uh, he does, yeah. At one point, and I remember that in uh, Quackbusters, that, uh, there was a little segment. Then yeah. there's the Abominable Snowman. Yeah, it was just a collection of all their like uh, Halloween-based uh, episodes. Yeah, you know what? We don't have anything really lined up for this next Halloween, so maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do Quackbusters. Oh, for sure! Oh, that would be so. That would give awesome. us another That'd shot. I mean, great. there's multiple opportunities to talk about um, Looney Tunes. I, I feel like bam, we can't really bam, do it in one bam. episode because <laughs> we're gonna miss a lot. Okay, so oh, here yeah. it is: the bear. Oh, he... breaks over. Get back to work. <laughs> I, I, I don't work here. You want to go on report, huh? Do you? But, but I don't work here. I'm a bear. A what? A bear? <laughs> a bear? Oh, boy! <laughs> what an excuse to keep from working! <laughs> I am a bear. Look, bud, don't give me none of that. You are a silly man who needs a shave and wears a fur coat. And the general manager's gonna hear of this. It's ridiculous. 
And he does this like eight times. They just keep going to more managers and more managers. And you're just like, this is madness. How do they not know that's a freaking bear? <laughs> I know. I don't know. He'll probably have to eat somebody alive right in front of him. Oh, okay. havoc. You gore, dude. What even was wrong with you? <laughs> I told you. I'm not a man. I'm a bear. I will destroy you all. I will eat your flesh. And I will enjoy it. And I will find your family, sniff your, your scent, and I will eat them alive. <laughs> I'm wearing your flesh now. Am I still a bear? <laughs> I am now a man bear. Man bear pig. Goodbye, horses. <laughs> I'm flying over you. Oh, you're creepy, As soon as man. you said wear their flesh, I immediately thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wear you as a face mask. <laughs> oh, my. Um, who else do we have? Uh, there's those two mice that, um, that are always, like, they're, like, they'll battle the robot, cat, or whatever. I can't remember their names, but Chuck Jones did them. Wait a minute. Battle robot, battle a robotic cat? Wait a minute. Wasn't that from Stay Tuned? Oh, shit. Am I, is that what I'm thinking of? What I'm thinking of the yeah. Stay Tuned? Oh, my God. How did I do that? The cartoon segment. Oh, my God. That was, like, one of the most enjoyable parts of the movie, honestly. I mean, it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But, again, that was most memorable because I was a little kid. Yeah, it's it. an okay movie, I think. Uh, you know, we did a double feature. We talked about that. And um, Mom and Dad Save the World. Mom and I Dad think Mom and Dad world. Save the World are much better. They're, they're really silly, like bonkers level of comedy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then you look at the actual, you know, production design and the set. Oh, man, you felt like you were on a different planet. And, the, again, all those, all the, um, oh, jeez. <laughs> Practical effects. Practical effects. Oh, they're so spot on, like the giant, like the little fish people, the little dog people, you know, all whatever creatures they could create in that world. <laughs> but anyway, back at hand. Yeah, I think, uh, did Chuck Jones and Warner Brothers have something to do with that animation segment in uh, Stay Tuned? Yeah, he, it's think? one of the last things that he did. He also did that little segment in Gremlins, mm. not a lot of people remember. The little segment in Gremlins. Yeah. At Was the it in Gremlins 1 or 2? What's that, in 2. Um, well, I think he makes a cameo in one, but he's in part two, and he, he they do that. I don't know if it's on the video, but I know it's in theaters where uh, they start to do the Daffy Duck animation or whatever. And he's like, I just forget it to start the movie. Yeah, they did. Oh, my God. They did that with uh, 1989 Batman on VHS, you know? Did they? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like, hold on. Stop right there. You got your popcorn? Check. Soda? Check. Warner Brothers ball cap? Can't watch this movie without a Warner Brothers ball cap. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then, then they talk about, like, subscribing to their um, little... Uh, fan club and whatnot oh yeah and then all of a sudden the animator uh you know as a bunch of money was uh putting out suggestions and naming all these products uh-huh he says ties and then the animator takes a pencil and draws a draws them in a rope yeah <laughs> you know breaking the fourth wall <laughs> oh gosh it's pretty awesome is I think it was around 1978 is when they introduced the first uh, Looney Tunes movie, where it was basically just a collection of the best of. Uh, sometimes they chop it up, which would be terrible, um, mm. and then they do wraparound sequences, which is what I think uh, Quackbusters is the last of those. But I think there's like four of them, like a thousand one rabbit tails and stuff like that. Uh, and there's one where on an island here, with here, the well. Duck season, rabbit season. Always, there's so many gags with the bill flipping around the head, blown right off, you know, splitting it in half. Let's run through that again. Okay. Would you like to shoot me now or wait till you get home? Shoot him now. Shoot him now. You keep out of this. He doesn't have to shoot you now. Ha! That's it. Hold it right there. Pronoun trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's not he doesn't. 
doesn't have to shoot you now. It's he doesn't have to shoot me now. Well, I say he does have to shoot me now. So shoot me now. <laughs> Again, Bugs Bunny just mind fucked him. Yeah, he's all he's screwed his own with grammar. him. <laughs> That's why you could appreciate Bugs Bunny so much. I mean, he's always that smart ass, you know, always one step ahead of everybody. Oh my god, you remember, the one, so you remember the one? Do you remember the one the opera singer? The opera singer that is his next door neighbor who hates his banjo playing? I can't recall that okay. one. So he's across the way. Here we go. I wish you were here to watch this with me. I'll probably, have to, I'll probably have to find it on YouTube or something. I'll have to look up uh, some, some. <laughs> I thought this when he was like, of course, you know, this means war. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, no. Bugs Bunny, he could do the legal thing and be like, you know what, you owe me for that banjo. You owe me so much money for that. All right, so I'm going to sue you. No, he's going to he's gonna fuck his shit up. Yeah. Which later he gets play. back by pretending to be the conductor and uh, doesn't use the stick, uses his hands. With dead serious, my God, Chuck Jones' direction is so insane. His facial expressions are oh mind-boggling. Oh my gosh, I think the part that at least the uh, composer segment's starting to uh, come back to me. Oh yeah, I remember that. And Bugs Bunny just like raises his hand so yeah, high. Yeah, he's like turning red and purple, <laughs> sweating like crazy. <laughs> oh. Wasn't there a segment where Doug or, or Bugs and Daffy worked together to take out their uh, take out their boss, who was this giant um, pig-like guy? It wasn't uh, Porky, but I remember them like point like you know behind the door there was the rug that would connect between the two. And then they slide the rug underneath him, and he'd fall down the he'd, <laughs> he would fall down these uh, the set this l giant set of stairs. You know, it's going ah ooh ee ah ah ooh ee. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Oh gosh, I can't remember that one. I don't remember what that one that yeah, is. I, it's the love when you take on antagonists, like, we're just, like, insane, like, the bull one, like, you know, like, this gigantic beast, and it's coming after him, and he does whatever it takes not to get his ass kicked by the bull, and he just outsmarts him every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, heck, even that, I know, and that bull, uh, he did come through in Space Jam big time. He helped them win the game. Heck, if the Maltzars were going to play dirty, so were the so were the Toons. <laughs> what? Ugh. Oh my god, I'm just watching this. It's just his the design work. I, Chuck Jones is my favorite. Frizz is hilarious, but something about Chuck just really nailed home these amazing expressions. Michael Maltese is great, um, and uh, the visual style in the background is just astonishing. Especially when uh, Chuck Jones would take on like a, a more obscure weirdo look, like he would get that from UPA. Like during his um, watch the uh, Roadrunner and uh, Wiley Coyote ones. Watch the backgrounds. They're just. Really weird and simple, and, and, and it's something unique that not a lot, of the, a lot of animators would attempt. Yeah, no, not necessarily. I, it I mean, just looking at it right now and then thinking back to some of the old Superman serials, do you think he works on those as well? No, no, no. He was never with anybody except for Warner Brothers and MGM at the end. Um, that was Fleischer. I'm 
almost certain he didn't play with Fleischer. Is this the one where he slaps him? I think so, maybe. It is. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, I was thinking of that moment where he walks up, then dun 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 dun. <laughs> oh man. Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. It... I mean, Bugs Bunny gets the crap pummeled out of him in this one. Adorable. My first stuffed action figure, uh, an action figure, but stuffed toy was a Bugs Bunny. I held on to that thing so near and dear. Oh man, I always wanted Daffy Duck. Honestly, when it came to uh, you know getting those uh, DC uh, Looney Tunes figurines and uh, and Happy Meals, I always I always wanted to get Daffy Duck uh, as Batman. Oh, Maybe because yeah, yeah, those are like Duck Man. Yeah, no, Maybe those Duck are like <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I don't think I don't think his logo was an actual bat. It might have been his bill. I don't remember. But yeah, like those are like my two favorite, you know, characters, you know, crossing over. So like, hey, why couldn't I enjoy it? I, I love you, Sammy Sam. He's so full. It just his rage always takes over. Trying to pull an escape seven 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 one seven four, huh? Oh, you're mistaken, Mac. You see, I'm not seven 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 one seven four. I'm only three and a half. Okay, so you're. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, Sam. Yeah, Sam was just wily and just out there, just gunslinging, go crazy. You could tell he was from Texas. Yeah, but they would take <laughs> him and put him in different uh, worlds, which was fun. Like you know, as the like here as the warden of the jail and you know the pirate and uh, uh, there's a few others where they would take him out of his normal Western universe. Yeah, but he would always have kind of like a militaristic presence or yeah. some kind of uh, combat combat infantry. You know, but however, again, he always brought that like, you know, again that that fury, that anger, that loud voice of him. He, I'm surprised he didn't make it a uh, like a little cameo appearance in Young Frankenstein. He's always yelling. <laughs> hey, they're both Warner Brothers pictures, aren't they? No, no, Young Frankenstein's Fox. Oh, it was? Oh, yeah. wait a minute. Oh no, Blazing Saddles was Warner Brothers. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm an idiot. You could shoot me for that one. Nah. Just why you? Why you wildly uh, go? Why you dumb friggin'? <laughs> uh, there is one that we're not talking about, which is huge. Later, he would he would have such a huge cult following as Marvin the Martian. Yes, again, he would, and uh, yeah, he was always primarily teaming up with Daffy Duck. He was like Daffy Duck's number one enemy. I'm trying to find a clip. I have some of these cartoons, but I don't think I have any of these. I think I just played the same, huh? It's funny when you look I'm at the trying to remember. so many of them. I have the same cartoon over and over and over. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Oh, dear. Whoopsie. <laughs> yes, that was a Mortal Kombat reference. <laughs> if anybody who's ever played that game would know. Oh, no. He would always say toasty. Never mind. Oh, yeah. Toasty. Wrong. Damn it. They sounded familiar. They sounded very familiar. But whatever. Oh, my we God. Love it Duck Amok. Do you remember Duck Amok where the uh, cartoonist would actually screw with Daffy and he'd be so frustrated? <laughs> no, actually, but that does sound pretty awesome. <laughs> and they would cut oh, out man. the sound and cut out the visuals. You'd just be standing there like, sound, please. Oh, yeah. 
don't. It's hard to do this one audio-wise. Right. So angry with the artist. Where's the rest of me? It isn't as though I haven't lived up to my contract. Goodness knows. And goodness knows it isn't as though I haven't kept myself trim. Goodness knows. I I've done that. That's strange. All of a sudden, I don't quite feel like myself. Oh, I feel all right. And yet I... I, uh... <laughs> yeah, as I was mentioning uh, in that little um, uh, in that little segment before uh, you know Batman would start on the uh, VHS, they w the animator would mess with like Bugs and Daffy. And that was another thing too. Uh, you, you know, you look at like Disney cartoons and whatnot. They wouldn't they would not break the fourth wall. Uh, no. Looney Tunes always did when they're just like always going through all the different. Heck, there was one intro. We were talking about all these different animals in the U.S., and then there was the American bald eagle who just sit there, look at the guy, and he says, I said the American bald eagle. <laughs> the eagle wasn't bald. He still had a thing of hair. And he says for the last time, American bald eagle, and he goes, okay, I am bald. And he takes off his wig. <laughs> <and yells. laughs> yeah. I like, to, I like how edgy they were with that. I mean, they're, again, borrowing from, you know, uh, Othello and just speaking out to the audience as if they were an actual thing. <laughs> I think that was why uh, so many people really would connect a little bit more with Looney Tunes. Yeah, they really understood people, not so much cuteness and trying to sell it to little kids. I mean, this is back when cartoons were being sold to adults, and so it had a more oddball sense of humor and more outrageous, and I, that's why they hold up, I think, better. I, I don't know anybody who, like, they like Mickey and Goofy, but based on what they look like, not who they were. Um, you know, it's like the Betty Boop thing. Nobody actually likes Betty Boop cartoons, but they sure do love the icon look, you know? Yeah, the curves, the big old head. Why does she have to have a big old head? Uh, that Duck Dodgers cartoon was great, and we're going to discuss that later. Uh, the one that was on Cartoon Network. I loved that cartoon. That one had a heavy uh, dose of Marvin the Martian in that as well. Oh, here he is, Marvin the Martian. For you. I have already claimed this bit of dirt for the Earth, and there just ain't room enough on this planet for the two of us. I do believe you are right. <laughs> Little does he realize that I have on my disintegration-proof vest. <laughs> you may fire when ready, Grizzly. <laughs> and Porky's always there. As the years are going, Porky become more like an innocent little like sidekick. Like he was the Robin to his arrogant and clueless Batman. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, but the thing, but he would end up being like the smarter one. Kind of yeah. like a. He would call, oh my god! I forgot about these characters. Do you remember the Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear? Where Baby Bear was just a big doofus. I. Okay, yeah, no, it's starting to come back to me. <laughs> oh my god, there's... I think there's also a segment I remember, um, two dogs, a big old bulldog and a little puppy. Like, what are you going to do today? That's oh, yeah, 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 I remember around that one. Yeah. Then he'd smack him and just be like, shut up! <laughs> trying to think of any others that were missing. I'm going through this whole playlist, and I'm just seeing kind of a lot, a lot of the same. Apparently, I was a huge uh, copier. Uh, <laughs> all I got is Chuck Jones and Frizz. I don't have anything else. Lots of Bugs, lots of Daffy. But there's a lot of obscure characters they would try to get going, but they just never did. But, um, of course, one Froggy Evening uh, being a really big one, 
Um, I love you, baby. I love you, darling. I love right now, girl. And then ribbit. Send me a kiss by wire. Tell me my heart's on fire. Do you, you remember when he me, was honey, the mascot of the WB when they first debuted? Oh my God, yes. Heck, even um, even like uh, like in the late uh, late 90s, like uh, early 2000s, when they still had that animation uh, block on Warner Brothers on their own little network. Uh, yeah, he would always be like out there singing and dancing. He would heck even in between segments. To, like, try and promote it, you know, yeah. talk about their lineups. Yeah, he would always see that dancing frog. I'm a WB. Yeah, except he'd always play dead, and then he'd come back to life, and he'd just, like, dance and sing around, and everybody else was, like, completely oblivious except for <laughs> except for one character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ribbit. All right, so we're at the yeah, hour no, point. Again. I don't I don't know if any others... Anything else you want to discuss about the Looney Tunes world? Um, actually, I'm not... Again, you know, as they went on throughout the years, they never really did crossover with other um, Warner Brothers-owned um, animated characters. I mean, the only ones who I think really did was uh, Tiny Toons. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, they had their own individual spinoffs. Oh, my God, Taz. We forgot to discuss Taz. I mean, we did Tasmania Taz uh, last Devil. year. But he was really popular for a while, and he got his own spinoff. Um, Doc Dodgers. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, oh, yeah, Tasmania. Like, he was always, wasn't he, like, always, like, a villain? Well, he was originally a villain, but on Tasmania, isn't he like a kid, and he's with his mom, and stuff like that? It's it's more of, he's the frustrated his hero. Family, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. and his spinoff, like, he's just, like, he's just the, uh, he's the only one who couldn't talk to him. The only way to actually communicate or get around him was going through his parents. Yeah. His dad was always, like, you know, the philosophical guy. Mom was sweet. Sister was, you know, older, into her own thing, and, yeah, a wide variety of, um, wide variety of characters that he, they ended up just creating around Taz. Just to personify him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we're missing. But, yeah, some... no, he always tried to kill bugs. Yeah, I'm sure some characters were missing here. It's just not hitting me. I went through this whole disc while we're watching it, but um, uh, of course we'll have other opportunities. We're probably going to eventually discuss all of the Looney Tunes movies, uh, not Space Jam and Looney Tunes back in action, but I mean like the collections. Definitely Quackbusters we should do for Halloween, and that has a lot of great uh, definitely. And I'm sure there's about a thousand cartoons we could have discussed, but we'd be here for hours, and, and I, I don't want to test anybody's patience, uh, even my own. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know what I'm hoping that they that they do at Magic Mountain because when I went to uh, Disneyland, I went to California Adventure. Yeah. And there's this one segment where you go into this little animation uh, room. It's like near a studio on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and you actually take a little drawing class and draw a certain character from a movie. Uh, and they have like animators show you step by step like how to draw this character. Uh-huh. I'm hoping I'm hoping like at Magic Mountain or some Six Flags park that they do something like that because I, w- I would love to draw a, a classic Warner Brothers character. Like just shut up and take my money. Let me go to this. <laughs> let me go to this park for the day. Yeah. Um... <laughs> We'll we'll try to tackle more of this. Like I said, we try to keep the shows around an hour. We could go on for hours and hours on this. Um, so check right. us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. You'll find all the episodes there. Uh, I have a new book out on Amazon. It's an ebook. It's really cheap. It's really short. Um, kind of like a uh, uh, prostitute hooker, uh, prostitute midget. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I ruined. I ruined a joke which I shouldn't have told in the first place. That was awful. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. Um, God. Damn it, Michael! 
know why I didn't say it. I know, I might cut that out. The book is on Amazon called Totally True Tales, The Epic Life of Manchester Steel, about a compulsive liar telling his fake life as if it were real and his frustrated editor who has to handle Anything you want to plug? I think Looney Tunes should definitely make a comeback. That's something we definitely need. I mean, Disney's always around, but still... I mean, Warner Brothers, as far as animation goes, they stick with the uh, DC uh, uh, comic book characters. Well, look at this. Looney Tunes is one of the first like mixed universes. Maybe the very first. Well, like, look at this. Looney Tunes universe. is one of the you first know, like mixed universes. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe the very first like uh, you know, all these mixed no. universe. You know, no, it's, it's blah, 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 blah. full on Looney Tunes, and then maybe uh, Godzilla. You know, all these others. Godzilla no, was a good mixed universe. no, it, it's full on Looney Tunes, and then maybe oh, Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla was a good mixed universe. We'll just have to wait and see. No. Speaking of, did you go see Kong? Sadly, I've yet to go see it. Yeah, there's a Kong cartoon. We, we should probably watch uh, when Kong comes out on video. Yeah, there's a Kong cartoon. The Kong cartoon. We, we should probably watch uh, when Kong comes out on video. We can discuss no, 90s, and watch the uh, Kong cartoon. The, uh, Maybe that other Godzilla around. cartoon from the 80s. Or no, right. 90s. Uh, oh my god, the, that uh, one. I saw it in theaters here. when I was a kid. I, I, I just loved Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it for us here. Jacob, send us out. I guess that's it for us here. Alright, namaste and good luck, my friends. Send us out. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> You're fucking kidding me. Oh, folks. Get the fuck out of here. I don't know why that jam. Hey, uh, this isn't awkward. No, it's not at all. I don't know hey, why that jam. Hey, uh, you this isn't awkward. At all? No, it's not at all. What are you, what are you, you having? Hey, oh, yeah? That sounds you gonna good. You going to have dinner yeah. at all? Um, can I come over? Um, what are you, what are you having? Oh, yeah? That sounds good. Oh, really? Okay. Um, can I not sure, yeah. Um, I hope you like your steak very rare. I hope you like your steak nice and bloody. What's that? Okay, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs> okay, everybody. Have a good night.